You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Mindfulness is presence, awareness. It's paying attention to what's happening within us and around us. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity, and there are many health benefits from practicing mindfulness and meditation, from lowering blood pressure to increased longevity. Perhaps most importantly in today's chaotic world, mindfulness strengthens our ability to be more compassionate to ourselves as well as others. Dr. Eric Holzapple is a successful developer and entrepreneur with LC Real Estate Group in Loveland, Colorado, who has used mindfulness to transform his life and business and helps others to do the same. Eric has a PhD in economics, has been a real estate CEO and developer for nearly 40 years, has lectured in real estate at Colorado State University for 20 years, and has practiced yoga and meditation for three decades. He has a unique perspective on how merging business and mindfulness can be a catalyst for changing lives, which inspired him to write Profit with Presence, 12 Pillars of Mindful Leadership. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me on, Teresa. I'm really looking forward to discussing the value of mindfulness as a sound business strategy, which it might be a new concept to a lot of people. In the book, you describe the cultural lie, which conditions us to live for the future at the expense of today. Can you explain that cultural lie and why it doesn't lead to happiness? Yeah, I just find we get these purposes kind of instilled in us that we got to go to the right schools, you know, get the right grades, then, you know, get the right job, meet the right people, have the right family, you know, have all these things. And that it's like we don't have permission to be happy until we complete the list. Like we got to keep grinding until we make the list. And what I've found is, and I've I have a lot of my from myself, and I have a lot of successful friends and colleagues, is that we just add more things to the list once we get there. You know, we get there, and then it's the well, I got to have my own company, and then it's you know, well, I need a bigger house, and I got to be at a country club. Oh, and then I got to fly private. I got to do all these different things and that we just keep changing the goalposts and we never really get to, we haven't really trained ourselves to be happy and that happiness and success are inside jobs. You find this people that are so happy and they have nothing, you know, and then there's us successful entrepreneurs and professionals running around that have more physical and material goods than most of the world can even dream of. And yet we just have this underlying, you know, little irritation and it's never quite enough. And, you know, we just got to get to this other side. It's like 
we can create happiness by removing all the problems in life. And I've just found that's that's a cultural lie, that there's just different problems. You just open yourself up to some different ones. If you haven't learned to be happy first and enjoy the process of what you're doing, the process of business, the process of raising a family, process of friendship, that you miss out on the joy of it. You might have the material success in the end. You may be talented and you may have the material things. But why? the reason we want those material things is for happiness. And they don't end up yielding the happiness we seek. You state that presence is the primary purpose of life and business. So can you describe presence, which you say is the true source of success and happiness? Yeah, it's like, you know, the states are, you know, thinking in my mind about what's happened, history, or thinking in my mind about what's happened in the future, going to happen in the future. But the only real state is being here now with you on this call, on this, you know, wherever I'm doing right there in the moment. So the purpose of life is to be able to be present and be with the people that you're with doing the things that you're doing. I find that presence is in those gaps. I call my my, my thing of living in the gap you see in the back there is the gap is in, in like in between thoughts. And that we have some 6,000 thoughts a day. Thoughts are where stress and anxiety reside. In those gaps of, of presence, when I'm really with somebody and or tapping into my intuition or, or whatever it is, is where peace and joy and happiness reside. And I find people, almost anybody that gets into this work deeper finds that relationships are one of the key, one of the key motivators or one of the key benefits. And that for me to be in relationship with somebody and is listening to them and listening comes from presence. Listening means I'm not at that time viewing the past or judging the future that I'm just with you. So the purpose of life is to be happy and happy is when we're present. Most people have something that they're present with. It might be fly fishing or skiing or crocheting or reading a book. That's presence. You've found when you're present. So how do we bring that to more, more of that into life? Yeah, it's amazing. I think it's 47% of our time we spend worrying about the past or the future, and we're missing everything happening right in front of us. So thank you for that. Yeah. In the book, the first of the 12 pillars of mindful leadership is be present and practice mindfulness. So how can individuals incorporate mindfulness practices into their daily lives, especially in a world full of distractions? Yeah, well, you start small. And a lot of times, you know, uh, maybe it's not meditation to begin with. Maybe it's gratitude is a really simple one to get started with, just realizing the little things that you're grateful for, like your family or breath or walk in nature or you know, sunshine or a sunset or whatever it is, a little, you know, food, whatever it is, find some little things you're grateful for. That's kind of like an immediate mindset change. Uh, and also find some things like taking a little walk without your phone. You know, it's funny, we used to, uh, we used to call it streaking in uh, back in the seventies when someone would run down the street, you know, without their clothes on. And uh, they're naked running. And now naked running is going go out of the house without your phone, you know, without your phone or your ear pods on. Then you go, oh, just so, you know, we just live, we just have them attached to us. So find some little things uh, like that. And then if you are open to try meditation, start with two minutes. 
just a couple of minutes. I find when people go 10, 15, 20 minutes, they get up there and they get frustrated. They go, oh God, I can't meditate. It gets so busy up there when I meditate. Well, it was always busy. You just haven't always noticed. We're the one, what we want to get is we're the one that notices the thoughts. We're the ones that notices the smell or the sight or the hearing. We're not those things. So start noticing those things is what we want to get at. So and start small and be consistent. Have the intention of being mindful is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I agree with, I meditate about 20 minutes a day. I believe you do too. But I think that that's hard to achieve if you've never done it before. I I thought three minutes, the first time I meditated. Counterproductive. Yeah, it was like, it was an eternity. So but you talk about the importance, and I thought this was really interesting, um, of detaching from results, which I think many business leaders might struggle with considering our sort of results-oriented economy. So can you talk a little bit about that? It's required. I mean, I can't be in business without profit, right? I mean, I can't run it. But it, number one, it's not the purpose of life. If the purpose of life is to be present, and I, I reject the the premise that business's purpose can be dramatically different than life's purpose because business is here to support life. So what I do is, and I can't be present with you if I'm thinking about the res, thinking about the result of the podcast at the same time. You know, I have to be present with you and trust that this that result's going to happen. But what I do in a business context, I have some things I check on every weekly, every weekly like cash. I know the cash position. I have to, that important for me to do. I look at that weekly and I decide what money to move around, what we have to do, period. Something like financial statements or monthly. I look at it monthly and go, oh, okay, what do I have to do? In between that, I let that go. I make a decision at that meeting. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what's not working right. Here's what we've got to change. Boom, work on that that month. But I want to work and actually be with the customers, be with the with the employees, be with the process of that during that time. And then at the end of the month, I'll look, okay, there's what we tried. How'd it go? But if I'm in that all the time, then I can't really be with people. And listening is such a great uh, aid to business. You start listening to employees, you hear all kinds of things like, why are you wasting so much money on this? Why are you wasting your time doing that? You know, so-and-so, you know, doesn't even blah, blah. You know, if you really start listening to people, you find a lot of shortcuts that when we get in our mind and we haven't really listened, we waste a lot of time. So being present with people, and also that's the joy in it. You know, that's how I really start to appreciate the people I work with and be and have those relationships at work. That means that I reject the notion that I'm going to be at work eight or 10 hours a day, just at a grind. And then I'm going to magically walk in my house and be present and be this wonderful person. You know, I just don't think that's how it works. I think I can be that same, you know, wonderful person at work. Not that I'm a wonderful person, but you know me, I can, I can espouse to it. I can, I can have that. I can have that as a, you know, an objective. Yeah. You know, and I think, when you're focused on the process, you're focused on the present, you're, the results come. So, so I appreciate totally. that. It doesn't mean you don't check. You're not monitoring. You're not managing. Oh, oh, no. But it's a much more enjoyable process when you're focusing on what you're doing. You mentioned the concept of presence-based leadership. And so I'm wondering if you can explain what that means and how it differs from other types of leadership. Well, 
I just don't believe there's these people that are just dropped on the planet as leaders, that whatever situation is, they're a leader in it. I think leadership comes from purpose. Purpose comes from presence, being able to be, be in the moment and then find out what really matters to me, spending some time with that. And when I'm not, I find that I'm not aligned somewhere. I haven't found that purpose. I haven't found that presence in it. And that when some people find that, they take action that they would never even dream of. They would never, if they really care about something, they'll take an action and step into a leadership role that they would just never even, you'd never think of them as that. But it's motivational. It's like, I found a purpose. This really matters to me and I can make a difference. Here I go. And they just step into it. So it's it's a matter of uh, really wanting to get something done and just doing it. And if I'm not taking those actions, really evaluate, what is my purpose? Why aren't I taking the action? Either I don't believe in myself or I don't believe in the process. I don't believe in what I'm doing. And so those are really uh, markers to say, look deeper, find out what's going on here. Because why are we here on earth in a body and a breath for this short period of time if we're not here to take action and to do things? You know? Yeah, definitely. So. Well, I think the world of business and work has gone through some really drastic changes since the uh, pandemic began. With, mm -hmm. I think the biggest shift, at least that I'm dealing with with clients, is around remote work. And I'm wondering why you say in the book that mindful leadership is more important in a world of remote work. You know, if I'm in the office, I can walk down the hall and, you know, check in and see what you're doing. And, you know, there are these regular check-ins, but there's a lot more trust involved in remote work, a lot more independence, a lot more trust. And so mindfulness is a very sticky culture. And it also, you know, would lead me to say, I need to check in on a different level with people. And not everyone's going to be up to it, right? It also means some people will work well remotely and some people won't. And if they don't, won't, and they, and they aren't up to, you know, they insist on remote work, well, that might not work. Anyway, but um, it's here to stay in so many situations. And I find it's a two-way street. You know, if we want to entrust the employee, the employee has to trust the employer. So it's more of a, a coaching relationship and it's more of a trust relationship. So you have to find those people that work, work with it well and that mindfulness is virtual. So, you know, it is nice to be together and it probably still requires some conscious meetings together and to join those relationships. So once you have them, Mindfulness can be a great aid to remote work. That's what I've found. It's even more important. I think so, too. I think part of it is because once we lose the body language and, of course, any sort of physical touch, a lot of those trust factors do diminish. And mindful communication is obviously almost solely based on active listening. And I think yeah. we have to pay so much more attention online, you know, in the two-dimensional world to make that connection. Um, and, I, and I agree with you. Some people... Well, one of, one of my one of the things I really watch is like screen off Zooms. I say, well, really, if you have a Zoom that people don't have their screen on, really evaluate, is that a worthwhile Zoom at all? Exactly. You know, I would say your screen's on, you know, let's pay attention. Let's be doing this. And if you can't be, let's schedule this when you can. Yeah. Because if it's not worth your attention, what are we doing? You know, so being pretty intentional too, that they're focused, they're short duration, 
you know, there's an agenda, boom, we're in and we're out. Not like it's going to be this endless, painful barrage of information that, you know, you get 10% of and I'll be happy. Area that I was very interested in is feels to me like we're at a time where there is, it feels like there's no solution to the extreme political divisiveness we're experiencing. And you share that a major reason for you writing this book is that business can lead us out of divisiveness through mindfulness. And so I would love to hear about that because it just seems so gridlocked. So how can businesses help us with that? Well, I, I looked at like, and I, run, I write an example in my book of South Africa that was on the precipice of civil war with apartheid. And Barbara Walter wrote a book, How Civil War Started. And what she wrote about was, you know, in the end, it was the business community that said enough, enough, get this. Again. I don't know how bad it has to get here. It's bad enough for me already. But business funds almost all political action, you know, either directly or indirectly. And if we could get at that, we really in business, our political ideologies don't really belong in business. You know, I want to have a full range of employees I can hire. I want to have a full range of customers that I can sell to. When I start limiting that from political ideology, I'm limiting profit. I'm limiting success that those things are fine in the ballot box and they're fine to, to, to uh, promote however you wish. But uh, business people will be pulled together and said, hey, listen, let's move. Let's just move things. Let's support people that move the agenda along, that compromise and move the agenda along. I think it'd be a short conversation if business banded together just said, that's what we're supporting, you know, and we're not supporting divisiveness gridlock, not getting things done. And that's just smart business. It doesn't mean that I don't care about all the other things. Of course we do. We all have individual things we care about. If we could distinguish businesses being needing to know some predictability of what's happening in a good environment for it, I think businesses, and I, and I love uh, the format of business for mindfulness, because if you learn mindfulness at work, you take it home. You share it with your spouse. You share it with your kids. It goes to the schools. It goes to the sports teams. So that's why I say business is just way more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. We think we're just there for this little thing. And then, you know, but the politicians don't appear like they're going to solve it without, you know, a push. And I think businesses, when business has had enough and it says we can't operate this way, we need to do it another way, it'll change really quickly. That's my biggest hope. You know, that and I'm would, an optimist. That would be wonderful. I've belonged to a group of meditation facilitators for quite some time now, and it's uh, facilitators from all over the world. And what most of them do in, well, about half of them work for big corporations and they're conducting daily group mindfulness uh, session or nice. for employees. And then the nice. other half are more people like me that are doing the same thing just from a different angle, like working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's encouraging because it's companies, it's business, I mean, uh, governments, Damn. countries, things like that. And I get these little, you know, I don't know, little blips of hope. Like, well, if this government's interested in this, maybe. But then, you know, I, exactly. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to hope. <laughs> Good. Me too. <clears throat> well, let's see here. The, um, you have a nonprofit called Living in the Gap, which you referred to a few minutes ago that's on your wall there. Can you uh -huh. share? Our list, with my listeners, what that's all about? 
Well, the gap is that little space in between thoughts. And this is a, there's a lot of different gaps. There's a gap between where I am and where I want to go. Uh, but it's those gaps where peace and happiness happen. So finding out how to how to be in those gaps rather than this constant thought and learning practices that will allow access to happiness. So we run programs in there. We run an eight-week corporate mindfulness program. We run uh, our, our big project is that we run a nine-month mindful leadership program where we have CEOs and professionals come through and and learn not just the tools, but how to set habits. And so it's a nine-month program because we really hope and aspire that they'll set some some uh, healthy habits over that period of time for mindfulness, which is your practitioner, you know, it, it takes a habit to keep it going. Uh, so it's really to promote this kind of work in, in a work environment, which I believe you can have it all. You know, you can you can have the money and you can when you have the money, affluence increases influence, you can make a bigger difference. What are you going to do with it type of thing? So that's what it's all about is just spreading this message to the work community where we spend so much of our time. You know, I just I, what a what a tragedy it is if we think the only time that we can be mindful is, you know, a few minutes in the morning or, you know, at night when we get home, and we're tired. Yeah. Mindfulness is focus. Focus is tremendous for business. Excellent. Well, the book is Pop It With Presence, The 12 Pillars of Mindful Leadership, and it's filled with practical exercises and tips for developing presence, in, and it includes all of the key tenets of mindfulness. So, of course, I'm a big fan. Maybe awesome. share with, you, uh, with my listeners uh, where they can find more information about you, the book. Our website, livinginthegap.org, has all of our workshops, those kind of things. There's a free newsletter that comes out. There's a free 21-day mindfulness exploration sent to your thing. There's a list of books to get started in addition to the one that I've written. Uh, Profit with Presence can be ordered there or, or it's for sale on Amazon. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And uh, get your copy today. Get started with it. Yeah, it's great. Very, uh, very well laid out with the exercises and kind of some reflections and all of the information and you know great examples from your life. and. So I really appreciate you writing it, and I really appreciate your time today. And I appreciate being on, Teresa. So thank you so much. I appreciate what you do. Thank you. Until next time, I encourage you to meditate daily and be mindful in all of your everyday activities. Simply bring your full awareness to the present moment to build your mindfulness skills, paying attention to every detail of what you're doing, from washing dishes to work tasks to taking a walk. Your mind will wander, and that's normal. Each time you notice it has wandered, that's mindfulness. Consider how wonderful the world could be if everyone was mindful. You can help make that happen. It all starts with a mindful moment. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like the Daily Meditation Podcast, Everything Everywhere, and Movie Therapy. We deeply appreciate your support at patreon.com slash a mindful moment. Please be sure to subscribe to A Mindful Moment and follow us on Instagram at A Mindful Moment Podcast. Visit our website, amindfulmoment.com, to access podcasts, scripts, and book recommendations. 
A Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee and or Melissa Sims. The Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, MediaWrite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions.